We are we getting paid for this? Awesome. Now I'm more relaxed. You didn't seem stressed to begin with. It's because of the happiness of David. Um. Oh well, never mind. I'm not going to say that. You're recording. Hello and welcome to another potentially joyful episode of the TCAP Salute Podcast. My name is Larry Burton and I'm filled with gratitude to be joined by the Ted Lasso of EdTech Coaches, Danielle Brostrom, and the TCAP's Director of Joyfulness, unofficial title, Heidi Skodak. Before we show appreciation for this week's show, I'd like to embrace the spirit of giving by sharing TCAP Sloop's moment of zen. Happiness is a direction not a place. So we continually return to the fact that this has been an unprecedented year in education. One thing it has forced us to do is reevaluate not only the platforms we use to educate, but how we as educators approach our work and life to create safe and healthy environments for our kiddos so they can be successful students and people. So with that, you know, Heidi, maybe start with you, you know, what has been the catalyst to start these, you know, some of the discussions that we've had in our district around maybe some changes in mindfulness or discussions around happiness. When we entered COVID, we had a lot of learning to do, and this was one of the biggest areas of learning for our organization, I think. And um, I had gone to some training that actually did showed us the TED talk and talked a little bit about the happiness advantage. Genesee ISD had actually implemented this with their entire staff. And so it got me thinking about the time we were in and what we can do to help support staff and brought it to Shana, the new associate superintendent of curriculum and instruction. And she also had, you know, some experience or learning around this happiness advantage ideas and principles and was very interested in figuring out how we could bring some of this into TCAPS and start learning a little bit more about it. So that's kind of how it came about. Why this book? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's there's a decent amount of research and discussion around this. There's a lot of uh, different mindfulness and positive positivity coaches. What What was it about this particular book that kind of struck you guys as a place to start? Well, I think it not only talked about just giving you a practical step-by-step approach to the seven principles, um, but it also talked about how it impacts your personal as well as professional and working life. And so it was about the whole encompassing piece of that, of bringing all those pieces together and understanding that um, looking at happiness in a different way brings happiness in your personal and professional life, um, just on following those principles and understanding a little bit more about how to use them. So, you know, when we're talking about this, we're talking about Sean Inker's book, The Happiness Advantage. And uh, I just, you know, right before this podcast, I uh, threw on the TED Talk, his TED Talk recently, which is, by the way, I highly recommend to anybody. It's very entertaining. It's a, a, a good 12 minutes spent. It's amazing how quickly he got through the topic. But one of the things uh, in the talk that he kind of brought up very quickly were some of the percentages or some of the increases that people can have by changing their relationship to happiness. You know, we're looking at 10%, 10 to 20% increases in all these different things by just having a positive attitude going into it. And I think if we told a teacher or a parent or an administrator that they could find 10 to 20% increases in results by doing anything, 
you probably have a lot of buy-in yet somehow it seems like maybe by just saying we should try to really focus on happiness first and, and being grateful, we would get some pushback maybe a little bit as far as, but that's, that's not results driven. Where can we measure that? Whereas, you know, the studies show you're going to get increases by changing that mindset a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's where Sean, Sean's approach came from was really around that idea in his studies at Harvard. He talks a lot in his book about, you know, he goes to Harvard where you think the brightest and best people would be that you'd find the most happiness because they're high achievers. And that's not actually what he found in his research. And so um, that is very telling. I mean, you know, he talks a little bit about really that happiness is choice and happiness has to come first for other things to follow is exactly what you're saying. It's reverse of what people think. You know, what he says really is, um, and I'll read a section of his book to you, which really speaks to us is, um, you know, even more important, the formula is broken because it's backwards. More than a decade of groundbreaking research in the fields of positive psychology and neuroscience has, has proven in no uncertain terms that the relationship between success and happiness works the other way around. Thanks to cutting edge science, we now know that happiness is the precursor to success, not merely a result. And that happiness and optimism actually fuel the performance and achievement, giving us the competitive edge that I call the happiness advantage. Waiting to be happy limits our brain's potential for success, whereas cultivating positive brains makes us more motivated, efficient, resilient, creative, productive, which even drives performance upwards. And he had his research involved 1,600 Harvard students and dozens of Fortune 500 companies. That's another reason, you know, I was very interested in this is it also um, talks a lot about Fortune 500 companies that he has actually worked with to develop this philosophy around and it changes the culture within an organization. So um, just recognizing that there are different ways to create happiness within your organization and help people be happy inside and outside of work. I mean, that, that's really the goal. It's not just about getting more productivity out of your employees. You know, it's more about doing what's best for humanity. And, you know, there's that quote that I always think of, you know, all the time. It's like, it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. And so um, applying those principles to the happiness advantage really changes your thought process. So um, he had some really good ideas and has done some excellent research. I was just so intrigued by the fact that, you know, he, he attended Harvard and his research was primarily in the beginning on those Harvard students that you would expect to be completely happy. But what he noticed was as soon as they hit a benchmark, they would put something out further and they weren't necessarily any happier because they just put their goals out further. So you have to think about happiness in a different way to cultivate success. So Heidi, for those of us who maybe haven't read the book, how, how do we get started? with all of this, because it's easy to, to, to be overwhelmed and see that th this feels kind of, you know, touchy feely kind of stuff. So how do you, how do you get started with all this? I would say just, um, the Ted talk is a great place to start. This was not in my wheelhouse. You know, this was not something I feel like I'm generally a pretty happy person, but it was not necessarily in my, in my wheelhouse. And, um, as I started to read through, cause it's a very easy read. Uh, the seven principles, I actually started skimming 
through and seeing mm, what principle sounds the most interesting to me and um, started skimming first, but then really took time to just read through each section of the book. We're doing it with the principles um, as a book study. So all the principles have the book. And then when we meet at our admins, we kind of go through and piece it apart. So every few weeks we have a different principle to work on and to look at and to review and to think about how we can have impact not only as a district, but in buildings with our teachers and with our students, how that trickle down effect can take place. So just kind of touching on those things, looking at strategies to use to create that positive happiness advantage, advantage and um, really breaking down the principles. The, the seven principles are, and they, they probably won't mean very much until you read through it, are really the happiness advantage, the fulcrum and the lever, um, the Tetris effect, following up the Zorro circle, the 22nd rule, social investment, and the ripple effect. Um, the one we're currently working on right now is uh, social investment. And that holds a lot of weight right now. They talk about if you're feeling stress, how important it is to reach out to others versus your first idea really is usually to retreat. Like I have a lot on my plate, I need to just work harder or retreat and figure out how to get things done myself when actually the best solution is really to invest in that social investment and not be afraid to ask for help. So um, even when he talks again about his studies that he has done and talked about a group of, of men that they followed for many years and they tried to find out, you know, what is the advantage? What makes people live long, healthy, prosperous lives, and it really came down to what he says in his book as love and happiness. So that was the common, you expected to see like exercise or all these other things on the list, but that was what they found in common with the ones that were very happy and healthy in their older age. So um, lots of learning around positive psychology, which is what he references in this book quite often. I like one of the quotes that he had, he shared, um, the absence of disease is not health. And I think what, what you're talking about, I think is counterintuitive. Results first, results lead to happiness. I think we, we, we do a lot organizationally. I think education does a lot organizationally there. I think um, business has done a lot organizationally there. How do you turn a large organization, any large organization, and maybe how does he recommend making that turn, that slow turn away from those old habits? I, I think it goes back to investment, professional development, and you know education on the benefits that this can offer not only our staff, but our students and our families and even our community, if you think about it as a whole. Anything we can do to, I mean, that's the goal of anyone, you know, because you think about what different people think happiness is, is something than others, right? So you could be a millionaire and still not be happy, or you could have you know, be middle-class America and find happiness, but it's about understanding the psychology behind it and selecting things to focus on, really about training your brain, which really is about that positive psychology piece. When you go through those principles, it really talks about how you train your brain to, in, in some instances, to look for the positive. Or if you are in a place that um, you see you have a problem to solve, how do you go about looking at that problem in a different way to find solutions and find a positive outlet to solve those problems versus thinking about all the things that maybe has happened? I was just reading an article last week, I think that talked about 
changing your social media feed and kind of making sure that you follow people who are positive and bring you up instead of all the doom and gloom that's maybe in the news today. And that, that kind of reminds me, me of that, you know, for sure. And I'm yep. going back and just uh, looking at that study that I found so interesting. They found the, the study, actually, they studied Harvard men followed 268 men from their entrance into college in the late 1930s through present day. Uh, they studied wealth data, scientists, life circumstances, personal characteristics that distinguish, distinguish that happiness piece. And again, what he says is what they could sum it up findings in one word, love, full stop. Could it really be so simple? And that's what they kept asking. It was so interesting because I think they really were hoping to find something else, some magical, like what is the criteria to make happy, successful people? And I think they expected to find more, but 70 years of evidence that our relationships with other people matter, matter more than anything else in the world. And then he goes on to say that that's because when we have a community of people we can count on, spouse, family, friends, colleagues, we multiply our emotion, intelligence, or intellectual, and physical resources simply by those connections. And um, in his study, you know, as he goes throughout the book, he also looks at who are the outliers. We spend our time looking at what is that nice, bell curve and what do we see that is consistent and then when we see an outlier he talks about we just kind of x that one out as an anomaly when actually we want to be looking at what are the characteristics of that outlier that allowed them to experience more success and happiness and so it's a different way mind shift different way of looking at things it reminds me a lot of uh the simon sinek talk that he has about uh or why why, why, lead, why, why leaders eat last Yes. And uh, we talk about brain chemistry a lot, or he talks a lot about brain chemistry a lot in that, and, uh, the relationship between dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. And, you know, really, when we're looking at that serotonin and oxytocin, you know, kick that those chemicals, those are community chemicals, those are kind of the love chemicals that lead to long lasting success, and, and joy and, and happiness. And we, if we're setting our goals based upon those metrics, and if we set those relationship goals first in how we educate our students, we're going to have much more successful students and happier students. Growing up, we've all, we, we all remember the teacher we had the best relationship with, not the teacher that had the, or the best understanding of mathematics. It was the one that actually related to us. Yep, it was the one that built relationships. It was the one that you knew believed you could succeed. It was the one that had passion for their students and not just for the subject matter, because that made all the difference. I mean, think about a class that maybe wasn't necessarily your favorite content. You know, mine was chemistry. I'm like, ugh, <laughs> I shouldn't say that out loud. Love physics did not enjoy chemistry as much, but the teacher made the difference, right? So even if the content wasn't something I was in love with, I certainly felt the teacher's passion, not only for all of us to learn, you know, that is the difference right there. And I think if we can share that, because the goal in education is we want happy, healthy, well-rounded students that have success in life and careers that they love. And if we can teach them how to look for the happiness versus um, chasing after the money, which sometimes we do, right? Um, I think that would be a big shift. In, and it's an educational piece because it really has to do with that positive psychology piece. Happiness is also often tied directly to purpose. And 
if you're feeling purposeful, you're probably going to feel happy. And if you're purposeful, chances are the money is going to kind of just happen because people are going to going to value your um, contribution. One thing tends to lead to the other. It's just we tend to put the wrong thing in front of the line. Yes. And and as, as far as when you're thinking about an organization, in an organization of support that's grounded in the principles and the happiness advantage, imagine what that would look like if we were all following or looking at things in a different way about how to help and support and look at the positive and offer support where needed. That's hard to do in large companies and organizations to have a culture that's built around something around positive psychology and things like this, but it is doable. But like you said, it requires like anything else. If you are implementing something, it requires maintenance and you have to water it and you have to make sure it's still growing. So just like anything else that we implement in a school or organization. So we have started small, you know, we have started with your Larry, I love, and I hope everybody has seen your quotes that you're putting out from the teachers, the, Positively TCAPs, love it. It goes right along with the happiness advantage. I cannot tell you how well those are received and to get the that information tells tells me a lot about um, when people select the quotes. I always think about the person, I'm like, that's interesting because the quotes they select tells a lot about them, you know, and the things that they value. So um, that has been super, that's a part of it. Our goal is to get to where we are then also spreading this into the community. So how are we bringing happiness to the community and extending um, ideas about how to facilitate that? We're lucky as a school, we receive tons of support from our community, but how do we give back in a way that is also saying thank you for the work that they're doing? So it's it goes beyond that. It's about building a culture of um, and a community of happiness and belonging and those emotional ties that are needed to help everyone be successful. So it goes a lot deeper than that, a lot further, but we are starting slow. So um, at the end of this year, we'll probably have a training, a full training on just this piece. And then hopefully we'll get the next step would be how do we get this, um, you know, to all teachers and staff and, and maybe put it on a book list for people to read. So Danielle, after listening to this, you know, you mentioned staff and in and, and the district and students, Heidi, as a parent. Yes. Take your educator hat off, put the parent hat on. Hearing this discussion as a parent, knowing that the district is having these discussions about positivity and um, happiness, how does that make you feel? I think it sounds beautiful. I think that there are pieces of this happening already when when my child reminds me to do good things in the world and good things will come back to you. And I say, where did you hear that? And she says, my teacher says it all the time. Um, like that I, I, I feel that. And, you know, I want to take my kids into a school that I'm thinking about coming to and have the principal tell me that happiness is first on their list and that they care about making sure my kid belongs and that they want them to be happy. Those are the kinds of things that that I do look for as a parent. I think this is amazing. I think it's going to be really, really great for our district and for our community. Yeah, and the tools of how do you how do you make the shift? You know, how do you teach somebody to look at what will help them change their mindset on how they're looking at things to build a more positive atmosphere or life for their child? So it's about it's about learning more about how those positive psychology principles 
can be taught. You can't have a fixed mindset, you know, that um, opportunity for change is there always. And if we could teach this to the children that are in TCAPS, it would certainly help them all along the way, not only in school, but outside of school and what their next steps are and how they hopefully view the world. For sure. Because everybody's hit with setbacks. So how do you continue forward and change your mindset? Yeah. And what, what, what are the tools? What are the tools yeah. that you grab in your bag when you do have a setback? Dance parties. That's what we do in our house. <laughs> well, see, and I think, I think that's it. Exactly. I know in the past, there's been a lot of talk about grind. You know, we have to teach our kids resiliency and, and how to grind and how to, you know, just to some extent, there's a bit of a grin and bear it type of mentality, which turns out not really all that, all that successful if you don't have the tools to actually do it. Just grinning and bearing it doesn't actually, you know, get the job done if you don't have the tools to grin and bear it. Bearing it is the second part of it. Grinning is the first part. <laughs> and grinning is actually the important part. You know, I think that's the thing. If you go into it with a positive mindset, if you have a grin, you're able to bear a heck of a lot more. Yes. So, yeah. And he, he talks a lot in his book about what you do have control of. You know, you mm -hmm. can't think about everything. You know, if you're running into a situation where you have a problem, they talk about it a lot in the Zorro circle. What basically, what do you have control of right now? What can you help with? And then you move, you do those things first, and then you move further out within your circle once you have, you know, those issues or problems figured out. Just really good tips about just viewing and problem solving as you go throughout whatever you're running into in life. When we run into somebody that's, you know, a little skeptical, you're definitely what? talking. <laughs> you're definitely <laughs> no. talking to to people have that maybe have already bought into the to the hype or came into it buying into the hype. What strategies do we have when somebody is maybe a little more skeptical about ad advocating for this or just buying in? Well, for me, you know, I will tell you this was not my thing. This was not my. <laughs> so I have come around to the other side simply because I think what drew me, there's a couple ways that a couple things that drew me to it. Of course, you heard me talk about um, the studies that were done and the statistics around that and just that idea that you can't will success to happen, right? You, you That has to come happiness first. So I, I would say first thing would be to just talk about if you're, you know, a very analytical person, you would, I would probably talk about the studies that have been done and what they found. And then I would talk about the benefits that he talks about in the books. If you implement some of these strategies, just in your learning, I don't think it's a push. I think it's, I, I, you can't shove this down somebody's throat or push this. It's just an idea about how positive psychology can really influence and create positive outcomes, um, whether it's in your job. And that's, that's the thing. He talks a lot about in the workplace, how it shows an increase, you know, businesses like this, it shows an increase in productivity, you know, since they implemented this piece, but it also has benefits outside. You know, we're, we didn't go into this just because we want to see how can we get people more productive? That wasn't the point. Looking at those statistics on how it not only helps productivity, but how it creates a happier individual, which then relates into, you know, uh, talent management. Your employees would probably stay longer, right, and enjoy their jobs more and have more, more places that they'd like to contribute. So I think it speaks to... Um, how you develop just that culture to make it positive for everyone. But it, and this might, this won't be for everyone, but it is a, it is a start and it's based on research, which is where I started with it. 
and um, then have implemented myself a lot of these items. And you always have to loop back because you go back into your same little routines that you have. But, um, you know, just implementing some of these and watch the outcomes, even if you share some of these ideas as, you know, worksheets and stuff when you're in some of your training sessions. So the statistics about the importance, what it, the impact that it can have personally and professionally in your job, and that just that really that mind shift in how you look at um, happiness and how it happiness creates success, not success creates happiness. It's total opposite. I know that there are other people out there like me that wear their heart on their sleeve. And I'm just saying we are cheering right now. We are so excited to hear this conversation. Thank you. And, and I think it's really important. And you said it, Heidi, uh, and I agree with it entirely. H happiness is a habit it, and, and it takes work. I think that's one of the things that maybe is overlooked is there's there's a reason why everybody isn't walking around joyful and happy all the time. It's because it doesn't just happen. You have to be mindful. You have to make a decision, a choice oftentimes to be happy first. And then going back to what you were saying, success tends mm -hmm. to lead from that. And I so remember, I so remember my dad always saying, happiness is a choice. And he was absolutely right in the cut and dried form that you could have. You're right. It is. Happiness is a choice. You know, and I think a lot of us know some of these principles and have lived them like, yep, can't fix that. What's my next avenue to, you know, move on. But happiness certainly is a choice. And this gives you ideas about how you can make more conscious choices to be happy. Any last thoughts? If anyone would like more information, feel free to contact me. I'm happy to uh, provide resources and um, conversations. So maybe it's a book study for this summer or something even for people. So Danielle, I know you've done some book studies. See how I passed that right off? <laughs> I love it. That's a great idea. I will put it on my list. Yes. So, but um, really uh, Shana in, has really supported this effort and has done a nice job of making sure if you notice in some of the principles, news and in focus, that um, those ideas about how we develop a culture and, and help people understand the different steps to be able to implement some of these pieces. So that has been super helpful and we hope to continue to do more. All right, with that, Tech Tool of the Week. Tech Tool of the Week. I have an adorable little game called Game About Squares. Go to gameaboutsquares.com. They're are no directions. There's no hints or help. It is a square and a circle. And you have to figure out how to play the game. You have to figure out the rules of the game. There are a million different levels. Um, I was stuck at level four for a very, very long time. I gave it to my 11-year-old daughter. And then her and my husband played it. And they got to level 15. And I'm really mad because I can't figure out how they got to level 15. But I will figure it out. But I think it's it's really, really cool for perseverance. It's really, really cool for um, just co computational thinking and it's fun. And um, one thing that I thought was interesting is that there's a little about section and you can go to the statistics and you can see how far people have gotten and how many clicks they took on each level. And there's just some cool graphs there that you can check out if you're interested in that kind of stuff like I am. So gameaboutsquares.com, make sure you have some time because you won't be able to just look at it. You will be hooked in for at least a half an hour of gameplay. 
You're both there like, right now, aren't you? Uh, it's uh, pretty uh, cool. Not yet, but I, I, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. <laughs> this is it, sure. and it keeps track of where you were. So, like, I have it on my phone, and we have it on our tablets, and it keeps track of your progress. So you you learn a new rule, and then you don't have to go back to the beginning. So, All right. gameaboutsquares.com. All right. So, in closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPS Loop. At Brostrom DA. Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I loved every single second of it, it was beautiful.